So we're considering how we might gain better insight this morning into Psalm 55. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James, which we didn't have to put on the computer. So you can follow along on the handout that we have or open your Bibles in front of you. That's the ESV version. It'll be very similar. I don't think you'll have any problem making the connection. So the question we're asking then is, how do we better understand our life's circumstances as we contemplate God more fully and try to understand the things that have come into our life that are unexpected? Psalm 55, as you probably have realized in the Psalm series, is an individual lament psalm, and a song is, that's a lament song, is a, is a song of mourning and grieving about something. And so I always think of the Psalms as God's words to men about men's words to God. And as I read Psalm 55, I see God giving His church permission to express the fullest possible range of emotions they can experience as they're walking in their faith. And I mean the fullest possible range of emotions that are in our soul. I love what one author said about the Lament Psalms. She said, there's an intense honesty in the Lament Psalms that can run as close to blasphemy as one can imagine within the context of prayer. But I think that's the problem for the church in our culture. I think it's hard for us to think in terms of talking to God the way that David talks to God in the Lament Psalms. We don't have any problem with Thanksgiving Psalms where we can thank God for who He is, or the Praise Psalms where we lift up His name, or the Trusting Psalms that we confide in Him for His good guidance, or the Wisdom Psalms that help us to live life more fully. Those are all no-problem Psalms. But individual Lament Psalms, those, those are a problem for us. And they're a problem because they remind us that living a life of faith is a lot more complicated than the cute quip from the inside of a Hallmark card. I saw one recently. It said on the outside, feeling a bit unraveled. And you open it up and it says, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hold on. Yeah, that's not too helpful, really. The lament psalms enable us to bring into our conversation with God feelings and thoughts that most of us would think we need to get rid of before God would have any interest in listening to us. You can't pray lament psalms, folks, and be nervous about being too emotional or too honest about the dark side of life in our faith. And what we see David doing here is bringing his level of emotion in line with the intensity of his prayer. Because, you know, we never see David praying this way. Lord, it's okay with me if you take them down into the pit and burn them. That isn't how David prays. David prays like this. Lord, (laughs) drag them down into the pit away from their life at the hell spa and don't allow them to enjoy another minute of their life. Do it right away. That's how David prays. That's what we're afraid to pray. In our culture, we're, we're hesitant to express 
anger and grief and sorrow and loss that we're feeling. These are psalms that witness to the reality of a full-orbed life of faith that has all kinds of different circumstances coming into it. These psalms express every kind of emotion our, psalm, our souls can experience. From ecstatic joy to the receiving of a new grandchild, to ravaging guilt for something we've said or done, to unbridled celebration and gratitude to God for His goodness to us, to despondent grief and loss that we experience in our lives. The Lament Psalms give us God's permission to speak to God about how we're really feeling about something. And the reason I mention God's permission is because in Psalm 55 you get the impression that it never crosses David's mind that the way he's talking to God is remotely offensive to God. He doesn't care at all that it might be offensive. And where David in other Psalms will acknowledge his sinfulness in his own life. For example, in Psalm 32, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me for me to confess my sin. David had no problem confessing sin before the Lord. But he has no intention of apologizing to God about the way he's talking to him in the Lament Psalms. You get the impression that David knows this is an acceptable way to talk to God when the life of faith throws hand grenades into your path. This is the way that God finds it's acceptable for David to pray. So let's think for a minute just about the general pattern of lament psalms. They often begin with some real emotional cry or something about that might have happened that's really deplorable or some circumstance that's come into our life or a cry against some personal tragedy or some kind of injustice we've just experienced. And that sort of transitions into talking to God about the mourning and the grieving we're experiencing because of that experience. Because we're suddenly sort of disoriented with God because of the experience we've had in the face of an unexpected, painful, or emotional struggle. And then that sort of transitions into us filing a complaint with God where we we humbly and bluntly identify what we think is wrong and why God isn't responding quickly enough. For example, God, I know that you know that I'm in trouble, so why am I still in trouble? You know I am, why don't you rescue me? And that transitions into asking God for help, how we should feel about this experience that he's allowed to happen in our lives, in light of who he is and what he promises to be for us. And then as you honestly talk about the pain and as you are candid about your misery and you're sincere about the loss you've experienced, then God begins to sort of reorient you to himself to have confidence in who he is, in his character, in spite of any experience that you thought was grieving or sorrowful. 
The lament psalms kind of get us back on track with God. And it's when we openly and honestly are talking to God about our pain or our anger or our grief that enables us to walk back into that spiritual state of trusting and relying on Him. Lament Psalms give us the permission to use words to express our pain to God, but then they also lead us out of that pain by God's strength and because of His character. And almost all of the Lament Psalms resolve themselves into prayers of hope and thankfulness to God being the character that He is. As they remind us that we belong to God in spite of every experience. And as He rules in our lives, we try to understand the experiences He often brings to us as we depend on Him in every twist and turn that comes our way during our life of faith. And then finally we realize that in every circumstance, the only place that we have to hide is in Christ. He's where we find our rest in spite of every circumstance. He's the one who will sustain us and protect us as we live that life of faith that throws challenges into our life. Sometimes the walk of faith can be kind of dark. And the lament psalms are expressions to God about the darkness and how that's impacting us and how can we better understand them in light of who God is. And again, here's our problem. I think our culture, in it, we don't really, appro- uh, uh, we don't think it's appropriate to permit ourselves to express real anger and sorrow and grief and loss that often accompanies us in our walk. And so as we think through Psalm 55 this morning, I want you to know as a congregation that whatever way you're feeling about any experience in your walk, that's okay. That's all right. Because it's not too long into becoming a Christian that you realize that your passionate calling to faithfully follow Christ is going to collide head-on with something. It's going to collide with some kind of traumatic event that came out of nowhere. Or the emotional conflict that just takes your breath away and robs you of every bit of energy you've had and you don't know why. Or the challenges that we never expected to see that have fallen right at our doorstep as we walk in faith and exploded right in front of us. leaving us with a whole lot of personal insecurities, maybe, and questions that we are hoping we would never really have to be concerned with. At every level of emotional strife. So expressing all of these feelings to God at the real level we feel them is what Psalm 55 is permitting us to do. I think it's important to remember that this is a masculine psalm. The word masculine is found in... 13 of the titles of Psalms, and it's a contemplation of David. Interestingly, the inscription in the title in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew, in Psalm 55 reads, To the end, among hymns of understanding by David. 
these masculine psalms are groups of psalms that are composed for worship that are teaching psalms. They have the added benefit of compelling us to be wise and godly as we're reading and working our way through the psalm. Because the word masculine represents insight, spiritual insight, the skillful use of wisdom as we try to understand something. So a masculine psalm is a, is a call for the reader to pay attention in particular, to get a real understanding of the words, that there's some godly wisdom we need to gain from this psalm. There's some eternally significant wisdom that's there for us to mine by contemplating the psalm. And so David would like us to become prepared to become wiser this morning because of the time we spend in Psalm 55. So let's just see how honest and emotional David is as he urges us to talk to God the same way that he does. Psalm 55 is to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David. Read along with me, if you will. And I'm going to stop as I help us unravel the meaning here. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression or the pressure of the wicked upon me. I see David approaching God this way. Lord, it's, it's me, David. Lord, listen, listen. You're not responding quickly enough to my request, and it's, it's kind of making me nervous. You know my complaint. It's, it's a lot like the other complaints, Lord, that you always wind up answering in your own time when you're ready. But it just seems that this time it's, it's just really not fast enough for me. And so I've got a question, Lord, why do you always wait to rescue me within inches of the disaster. Why? When you know so well ahead of time what the disaster is. The Hebrew language here is really much stronger than the English. In fact, the Septuagint translates this section, this section, the Greek version of the Hebrew. It says this, I was grieved in my meditation and troubled because of the voice of my enemy. I was meditating, God, on who you are. I was really feeling oriented to who you are and, and my walk with you. And I was thinking of your loving care for me and the way you've provided for me. And I was thinking about your, your holiness and your goodness. And then I was hearing how my enemies are talking about me. And then all I could think about was their hatred. And it was the language there is, is so amazing. It's, it was making me really restless. It was making me feel like I was a, a transient living on the street with, with no place to rest. And my grief started expressing myself in bodily emotions. Lord, I was, I was so uncomfortable. I was distraught and I was distracted from you. I was, I was rushing about like I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I just felt this compulsion to, ah, to roar, to, just, to, just to vent the anxiety and the feelings that I was experiencing. 
And then in verse 3 it says, Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. It's like he's saying the sound of the voices of the wicked is, is pressuring me, God. It's like, it's like I was having a dream when I had a really bad fever and I couldn't get the same thoughts out of my mind all the time. They're, they're rolling down mischief on me. Like when a, an army goes up to a, a fortress and, and the people inside the fortress are hurling down coals of fire on them. That's, that's what it felt like. They were rolling down mischief on me. And Father, I was staggering under the weight of this burden. In fact, when I was looking at them, th- their nostrils were flaring out in their hatred. Like, that's how they were feeling about me. And he says in verse 4, My heart was severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen on me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Lord, look at how I'm responding to what's going on around me. I feel like I'm waiting for the dreaded horrors of death to fall on me, and it's actually causing me physical pain. Then in verse 6 he says, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain at rest in the wilderness. Salah. Lord, lift up that idea of you giving me complete rest in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Lord, I just, I just wanted to get I just wanted to get out of here. I wanted to go find that, that little house on Walden Pond that was away from all the hassle and the headache and the, the wickedness that's everywhere. I just wanted to get out of here. Or, or Lord, find me some cave where I can just meditate all day on your word and your goodness and your holiness and escape all this wickedness that's all around me. Just let me find some quiet Shelter away from all the hassle. He says, Lord, give me, give me the wings of a feral pigeon in the Hebrew. It's like, Lord, I, I don't want to be one of those pigeons that's lodged in the city that flies around and looks down and sees all the wickedness everywhere and sees all the, the terror and sees all the violence. I, I don't want to be that pigeon. Give, give me the wings that's going to make me fly away into the desert and hide in those rocks in there. That's where I'm going to find my rest. This wickedness is just, it's just eating away at me. Lord, would you just hear my prayer and deliver me from all these storms that keep exploding all around me? Pleading with God to rescue him. You know, Psalm 55 really begins to draw a distressing picture of wickedness. I want you to note the descriptive words that are following here for wickedness. Violence, strife, iniquity, trouble, oppression, destruction, deceit. Destroy, O Lord, he says in verse 9, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they, that is, violence and strife, go around the city on its walls. 
Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. It's interesting that a lot of commentators see a complete flip in David's tone here in this psalm. And the reason they see that is because they're thinking to themselves, well, David is either bipolar and psychotic, or some other psalmist came along and inserted here this verse, a different psalm. Because nobody in their right mind would write this in one sitting, back and forth to this deep emotion, back to this emotion, and be sane, and be, be somebody who's not bipolar. And now we begin to see David go from one extreme in his feelings to another, from common depending on God to commanding God to terminate his enemies. Back and forth in this emotional roller coaster. And so the commentators are thinking, well, David, he, he wouldn't talk like that. He wouldn't go from one extreme to the other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He, he wouldn't talk like that. But of course he does talk like that. That's exactly how David talks. And David, seeing all of this wickedness and deceit and, and, and guile right in the middle of town, right in the streets, it's obvious for everyone to see. And then he starts commanding God to swallow them up. Just engulf them quickly, Father. Devour them. Drown them in the sea. Father, I'm commanding you to cause division in their councils. Divide their tongues. Do what you did at the Tower of Babel. Do something really drastic that makes them ununified in their efforts to bring their wickedness against me. He says, I've seen violence and fighting, strife in the city, and I still see it. You know, if you watch the news, you know that word violence. It's the word Hamas. It's, it's the most sinful kind of violence that there is. It's not used to refer to some kind of natural consequence, some violence that happens naturally, or the raging tempest that he was just talking about. And it's not the violence that happens naturally when the righteous are pursuing the wicked. Hamas is used for extreme sinful wickedness that leads to violence. And that's what David's being, he's praying to God about being rescued from. And then he kind of personifies wickedness and violence as if it's some beast living in the city. That's how bad it is. Violence and strife are occupying the city as if they're alive there. And not only alive, but they're actually prowling around on its walls, he said. And he's just saying, God, this is causing me unbelievable grief and panic and death, the fear of death. You know, that word iniquity or strife is a really interesting word because it explains the, the progressive nature of wickedness. You see, wickedness kind of begins with playing around with trouble, kind of fooling around with it. And then you kind of become intrigued with it. And that moves into flat out open wickedness. And 
then that wickedness kind of becomes your idol. And soon you're so taken with your own wickedness that you, you begin to worship it, worship it and you can't disengage yourself from it. That's how awful the wickedness is that David's seeing in the city. And then David focuses in verse 12 in another direction. He says, for it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God amongst the throng of Israelites. Notice how it's been they and them for the whole psalm. For they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me, divide their tongues. And then in the next verse he's going to say, Let death seize them, let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. But now he's kind of focusing on something that's personal. This, this level of engagement has gone from wickedness that he sees all over the city to now it's lifted up to be a lot more intense because it's somebody that he knows and is a friend with. Now it's changed to you, a close friend, and you're, he's just saying, you're in the same camp that they are. You're, you're just as wicked as all of them. I mean, he's, he's saying like, Lord, the, the, the rampant sin everywhere is hard enough to deal with. But now the level of sin in relation to me has really escalated. It, it was kind of just there all around me. I guess I could deal with that. But now it's my friend who's on my porch knocking on my door to do wickedness to me. It's one thing to acknowledge that sin is everywhere in the world and all about us in society. But now it's really been intensified. The, the Septuagint and the Vulgate, both the Latin version, both translate this the same way. They say, this is how David is describing his closeness to this person. He says, you were one soul with me. When I looked in the mirror, you were there. We were the same self. You were my second self. And you expect it when you're known openly uh, enemy, when you're, the known enemy is, is coming at you, you'd expect it. You're, you're ready for his attacks. That's why we call them enemies. But, Lord, how do I get an enemy like this, and how do I work around that? How do you fight against treachery and fraud and deceit with someone who pretends to be with you in every sense? And then he says in verse 15, he's kind of back to the get em God kind of thing. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. It's almost like he's, he's rehearsing it again. He's rehearsing the complaint again. Lord, here it comes, that compulsion welling up inside of me to start roaring again. Lord, just desolate them. Do the Korah thing where you rain down fire on 250 people and then the pit opened up and all their families and everything they owned fell in and then you sent the plagues 
Lord, don't, don't hold back anymore. And then it's like David is, is sort of like trying to rationalize. Okay, okay, I got it off my chest again. Now I, I think I can continue walking in faith with you. And then he says in verse 16, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many who were fighting against me. Lord, I'm going to keep praying like that because it keeps me focused on you in light of all the wickedness and the way I'm being treated. And then in verse 19, he says, God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. Selah. I'm thinking about your character from ages and eons past, God. And then he says, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. And he's rehearsing this idea in his mind that God's going to hear and afflict them because God has been alive forever and he knows all those things. And you're the one in whose character there is no changes. And everybody, everybody knows that, Father. And yet the wicked have no fear of you, even though they know that you never change in your character. And I think David's just saying, Lord, I, I acknowledge and know that you are sovereign over every area of life. You're sovereign over the enemy as he's oppressing me. You're sovereign over the random strife that's crawling all over the walls of Jerusalem. And you're sovereign over the sin that's alive and well in Canby and Wilsonville and Portland. You're sovereign over all that. And you're sovereign over the life of that friend when he does the same kind of things to me that the wicked in the city do. You're sovereign over all those things. And then he says, he, in verse 20, that, that friend in particular that I was talking about that I never named, has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. I was at peace with my friend. And he's broken his covenant with me and with the Lord. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And so David's getting back to that mesquil part of the psalm where we're looking for the insight and the wisdom. And he says, here's my command for all of you readers. Here's some real take-home wisdom in Psalm 55. Renounce those burdens you have. Throw them away entirely having nothing more to do with them. In fact, set them upon the sovereign will of God, those burdens that you're carrying around. And that's how God will sustain you while you walk in this life of faith that has darkness kind of coming into you, into your existence and throwing hand grenades at your feet. That word sustain there is a really interesting word. It's an it's a extremely rare tense in Hebrew, and it means to, to comprehend. He will comprehend you is what it's saying. 
And so David's just saying, look, when you cast your burdens on God, He's going to sustain you. He's going to contain you. He's going to comprehend it for you as you reflect on Him when you cast all your burdens on Him. And here's how David has learned to deal with the negative emotions that can disorient us from God. You see, in the earlier part of the psalm, he thought hiding might be an option. Running away as a dove and living in the mountains. Or being angry and retaliating against his friend, that that could be an option. But he settles for this instead. Tell God exactly how you are feeling. Give him the whole range of emotion that you're experiencing. And then after you've done that, cast all that burden that you've openly expressed to him on his sovereign providential care. That's the way he's going to reorient you in your faith. That's how he will continue in, continue in the dark side of your life of faith when it seems impossible for you to comprehend or endure the experience. Peter writes in his first epistle, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And I think David's wisdom for us is if you really want to remain unmoved in the experiences that you have here in your life of faith, and you want to remain unconfused about them, and you want to be entirely oriented to God while you live this life of faith, faith which is sometimes really disorienting, go ahead and express to God exactly how you feel. And then give those burdens all the way to Him and take Him as your pilot and as your assurance and as your guide as you walk this life of faith. And rest all of your life, not just your burdens, but everything about your life, all your concerns and all your fears on His providence and sovereign care. And when you do that, you'll be able to pray with this kind of assurance at the end of the psalm. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction, because I know your character. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. It's almost like he he kind of says, Lord, I promise this is the last time I'm going to remind you of what I want you to do. This is the last time I'm mentioning what I'm expecting you to take care of that you've been waiting too long to do. When you contain me, when you comprehend for me, I am assured that anyone who presumes to ensnare the righteous will be consigned to unending punishment. When I cast my burdens on you, when I lay all of my life in the care of your providence... I know I will remain unmoved because bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. And you know when you've really cast your burdens on the Lord because you've already expressed them, and then when you cast them on Him, you know what? They aren't your burdens anymore, are they? When you cast them on God's providence and sovereign will, they're not yours any longer. 
Let me just end with a comment that A.W. Pink made in his studies in the scripture on Psalm 55. He said, there are seasons in the lives of all men when it's not easy, not even for Christians, to believe that God is actually faithful. Our faith is sorely tried, our eyes sometimes unable to focus because of the tears. And we can't any longer trace how God's love intersects with our walk of faith. Our ears are distracted with the noises of the world, and and that reminds us that sin is everywhere. And we are harassed by the God-hating whispering of Satan who so reminds us again that we are deaf to the comfort of our Lord's still small voice. Cherished plans have been thwarted and and we're staggered because of that. We sought to be faithful to God and now there's this dark cloud that's hiding Him from us. We find it nearly impossible for our carnal reason to begin to harmonize how His frowning providence works with His gracious promises in our lives. And then Pink says, Ah, stumbling, struggling souls, severely tried fellow program, fellow pilgrim, seek grace to heed the words of Isaiah 50.10, where he writes, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of His servant? Who is it that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Let's pray. Father, for your word, we're thankful this morning. Let it be a blessing to our strife and our loss and our fears and our trembling. Father, help us to be a people that long to express to you every emotion we feel. And in doing that, reorient us to yourself. Bring us back into a relationship with you that's once again assured of your goodness to us. Father, as we continue to lift up your name and song this, this morning, we just pray that your word will instill what it needs to in each of our hearts. And we thank you in Christ's precious name. Amen.